Good morning. Let's get straight to markets. Take a look at the impact for the indices. Factual. Succinct. All you need to know before your trading day starts. Subscribe to our newsletter, CNBC's Daily Open. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the world of tech. I'm Tom Chitty and with me is CNBC senior tech correspondent Arjun Karpal. We finished 2023 previewing a big year for cryptocurrency and so it's already proved. After months of gossip and rumour, the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, has officially approved spot Bitcoin ETFs. We're going to discuss what this means for Bitcoin and crypto as a whole, and we'll also hear about Arjun's trip to the crypto finance conference in the luxury Swiss ski resort of Saint Moritz, where he, along with many crypto investors, heard the big news. Beyond the Valley. Happy to be back, Arjun. Back in uh, back in the UK, or do you miss the mountains? Yeah, no, I'm not built for you know mega cold weather. I know I live in the UK, but I'm I don't like the weather i don't like the cold but do you know what that train ride my goodness up to san moritz from zurich is phenomenal um it's breathtaking um do you know one of the one of the things that was amazing on the train was so there was a restaurant on the train and you could order a, a, a sort of swiss cheese fondue on the train a mini one not like a full-blown massive pot but you could order a mini cheese fondue on the on the train is in with like all the heating apparatus no so i think it's i don't i'm not sure i looked at the picture it looks like sort of a little pot that they sort of melt and then bring out and you've got to you know you've got to really quickly go for it there's not you know it's not huge but you know grazing boards before and all it, sorts. before it hardens up yeah before it hardens yeah, quite quite amazing actually um but yeah, no. So, but I, that would have been good for your Insta Instagram reel. I think I did take a couple of videos. You know, there's lots of content on. There's lots of content. Uh, if anyone's interested in that train ride, by the way, in the views, they can check out my Instagram and see see the lovely video. Shameless plug. Shameless plug. Shameless plug. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up later in the episode, um, for our listeners, we'll discuss the big tech topics to look out for in the first half of this year. But before we discuss anything else, we've got to hear Arjun's stat of the week, which is... So, I'm just playing with the rules a bit here, but I'm not going to give you a stat. I'll give you a date and then maybe the stat later. So, November 2021. November 2021. Okay, I, I actually already know the answer to that. Oh, wow. That's pretty good. Wait, actually, that's quite a bold show. I You've laid it out now. So, <laughs> when we get to the end and you give your answer, it better be right. Um, All right, so let's get started. Um, After months of speculation, the spot Bitcoin ETF has been approved. Um, Arjun, you were surrounded by crypto enthusiasts when the news broke. What was the immediate reaction to the announcement? Well, it was a wild time because it wasn't as straightforward as an an immediate announcement. It was, um, firstly, earlier on, I, I arrived on on uh, a Tuesday, uh, at the 9th of January. And um, that night, uh, the SEC, their X account, uh, had put a post out saying that the Bitcoin ETF had been approved. Uh, very quickly later, it had been 
uh, removed and the agency, the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, which which needs to approve these Bitcoin exchange traded funds, um, they said that their account was compromised um, and that, in, in fact, a Bitcoin ETF hadn't been approved. So come Wednesday morning, um, the start of the conference, Wednesday the 10th of January, um, I was starting to catch up with people from the night before. Um, and it sounded like the champagne corks had been popped and very quickly put back in the bottles once they had seen the fact that the Bitcoin ETF hadn't been approved. Let me just give you a little bit of colour from what was going on on Tuesday night when that false announcement came up. I had a chance to catch up with Melton Demiror. She's the head of strategy at CoinShares. Uh, she's a big name in, in the crypto industry. Um, and she gave me a little insight in, into, into the celebrations or the pre-celebrations that were going on Tuesday night. Well, uh, we walked into the lobby bar right as the tweet came out and everyone was ecstatic. Uh, we've been idiotically pursuing this idea, this vision of creating an easy way for investors to access Bitcoin through a cost efficient vehicle that can be traded right in a brokerage account. It's great for folks like my dad. My dad doesn't want a Bitcoin wallet. He wants to go into his existing brokerage account and get exposure to Bitcoin without having to worry about all the other details. So we're ecstatic. And then five minutes later, after all the drinks were ordered, <laughs> very sad. But look, I think, um, you know, if you were a screenwriter, like you couldn't write the narrative of this industry. It's wild. It's preposterous. It's crazy. So the shots were ordered, um, and I think they came, and uh, you know, then then that then the SEC clarified um, that it wasn't um, indeed happening. But then uh, Wednesday night, uh, the uh, the SEC actually uh, Wednesday night Switzerland time. I'm talking about um, the SEC actually passed uh, and approved the Bitcoin ETF. So Thursday morning, when I was catching up with some new uh, new faces, um, you know. Certainly, uh, it sounded like the celebrations were, interestingly, someone told me the celebrations were tame to start off with because they were unsure if this was another false kind of uh, start from the SEC. And then once they figured out this is the real deal, I think the celebrations were, were going on, going on strong, no doubt, a few sore heads on, on the Thursday morning. I was in bed by 9.30, Tom, so... Oh, good for you, good for you, well, well behaved. You've got a long week coming up. Um... Just in terms of, obviously, you know, there's a little bit of confusion and uncertainty, but ultimately, you know, there's a lot of, um, well, it sounds like there was a lot of, a lot to celebrate for people in the crypto world. Um, generally, though, before the announcement um, was was finalised, or at least confirmed, um, what was the vibe like at the conference? Um so this crypto finance conference in San Moritz is supposed to bring together sort of a crypto industry and then more traditional financial players. And um, last year, so at the start of 2023, when when I attended this thing, um, it was a very downbeat mood. Um, the big crypto exchange FTX had, had collapsed. Bitcoin was trading somewhere near $17,000. The mood was not good in the camp. Everyone had had a bad 2022. Uh, they were sort of concerned about what 2023 would bring. Lo and behold, 2023 was actually, you know, a very, very good year in the end. Um, Bitcoin rallied about 150%. Uh, a lot of the, you know, fund managers who were there managing these crypto funds were you know, very happy. Um, the they saw that the big problems that had happened in twenty twenty two were pretty much un, 
uh, out the way. Uh, and they were just waiting for this Bitcoin ETF now, which happened as well. So generally, the mood very optimistic. Uh, I think people were celebrating by skiing on the slopes there and, and all sorts of things. So it was, a, it was definitely a very different mood uh, to 2023. I read this morning for $4.6 billion worth of shares traded uh, as of Thursday afternoon. And that would suggest that there's quite a lot of strong sentiment for these uh, new ETFs. What, what, what is your initial sort of take on, on, on kind of the, the take up, shall we say? Yeah, so there, there certainly seems to be demand um, for it. Um, the take-up seems um, pretty strong at this point. Um, and I think the reason is because of what an exchange-traded fund is. Um, you know, there's many, many, many exchange ETFs in this world. And effectively, they're a, they're a product that investors can invest in that track a certain, you know, basket of assets or in the case of the Bitcoin ETF, it's tracking one asset, and that is Bitcoin. And what it means is investors through their brokerage accounts, through their trading apps, can just buy this Bitcoin ETF without having to go onto a cryptocurrency exchange uh, and then physically, you know, go, well, not physically, but go and buy the actual Bitcoin and store that digital currency in a, in a, in a digital wallet wallet or what's known as cold storage offline. So that means um, that you don't actually have to own Bitcoin to get exposure to its price movements. And that's seen by the industry as a, hot, a huge deal because you know owning the actual Bitcoin going on, on exchanges was seen as, a, as something that might limit uh, the broader population from uh, participating in uh, the crypto markets. The other thing is it also probably put off a lot of um, big traditional players who would have never touched cryptocurrencies before. But now there's an ETF. Um, many see it as giving a sort of layer of legitimacy to Bitcoin and allowing some of these big institutions, these big investors to now get involved in Bitcoin. Um, and the theory here is that this could bring in a whole new wave uh, of investors to the market. And, and so that's why there's so much uh, excitement. Just to lay this out perhaps much more eloquently than I have, um, I caught up with Sheila Warren at the conference. She's the CEO of the Crypto Council, uh, Crypto Council for Innovation. Um, and she was just talking to me about her views on, on, on why she thinks this is a big deal. If this does happen, I think to your point, we're going to, this is a watershed moment, no question about it. It's going to usher in a lot of institutional capital. It's going to change the dynamic of this asset class completely. Sheila Warren, they're calling it a watershed moment, uh, and that's very much how it's been described. Uh, let's see, you know, the initial excitement, yes, when that dies down. Let's see if demand um, continues to remain strong, of course. Yeah, I, I read um, on Morning Brew, uh, of all places, but um, uh, that, uh, that there was a great line in, in their, week, their daily email, which was, Bitcoin is essentially putting on a tie and agreeing to go to work at its dad's insurance firm for the summer until the whole buying a hamburger with crypto thing takes off. That's which I brilliant. Thought was quite, That's brilliant. <laughs> which I thought was a really good, good way of explaining it, uh, in layman's terms anyway. Um, yeah, so the uh, one thing I did want to discuss, and I know that um, a few people have picked up on this, particularly in the office actually, that um, the price of Bitcoin... I think for some people, you know, they thought, oh, well, as soon as the ETF is approved, um, it's going to go through the roof because that's it confirmed. It, it, it's going to happen. Um, 
but we didn't really see a, a huge you know, increase in the price of Bitcoin. Okay, we've seen a gradual increase, but uh, uh, straight off the back of the news, there was a bit of actually a flatline and, and, and a slight even decrease. Um, so is it almost like Bitcoin investors um, off the back of this 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 ETF um, gossip and rumor had already sort of jumped on the bandwagon and that this that it had already been priced in um, ahead, ahead of the announcement. Yeah, very much so. I mean, Bitcoin had a more than 150% rally in 2023. A lot of that was in anticipation of this ETF. And, and remember, these issuers of the ETF need to underpin their ETF with actual Bitcoin. Um, and so they would have, in preparation for their ETFs being listed in trade, would, be, would have been buying up Bitcoin too, no doubt, to, to underpin um, the ETF. So, you know, we saw a huge rally last year, and I think that's kind of, that that was kind of in the price uh, already, and that's why you didn't see so much reaction. What was fascinating, though, was the reaction in the price you did see on Ether, the digital currency linked to the Ethereum blockchain. That, I think, sort of immediately after spiked around 10%. Um, at the time. Now, why? That's because I think there's speculation now that the Securities and Exchange Commission in the US could greenlight an Ether ETF next, now that it's opened the door for Bitcoin. So that's why you saw, uh, I think, the spike in, in, in Ether, which I thought was, was the more interesting price movement at the time. Um, but I do want to sort of temper, I hate to, to be the sort of uh, the party pooper, but it's interesting to see that Vanguard, the largest provider of mutual funds, which mutual funds, for anyone that doesn't know, is kind of what um, uh, exchange-traded funds are like, but on the stock market. Um, but they uh, they said they had no plans to make uh, the new batch of spot Bitcoin ETFs available on its platform to its brokerage clients, uh, which I thought was interesting. And we also seen the, even the SEC chair um, say in a statement on Wednesday that the approvals were not an endorsement of Bitcoin, calling it a speculative, volatile asset. So I find it strange that, that uh, on one hand, they have approved these these spot Bitcoin ETFs, but on the other hand, they're saying, well, it's still, you know, it's still a, a risky investment, even though you're not necessarily investing in Bitcoin. Yeah, it really is. I th- it, it was... <laughs> It was fascinating because it was sort of like the SEC, and I'm paraphrasing the chair's chair Gary Gensler, who's the chair chair of the SEC. I'm paraphrasing sort of what he was saying in his statement, but it was very much like just because we approve this Bitcoin ETF doesn't mean we like it, uh, and doesn't mean that we are going to now approve a bunch of other crypto assets um, to come to market. Um, he said, and this is from from the quote, that the, the the decision to approve the Bitcoin ETF, it should in no way signal the Commission's willingness to approve listing standards for crypto securities. Um, and he said, while we approve the listing and trading of certain spot Bitcoin ETP shares, those are exchange-traded products, today we did not approve or endorse Bitcoin. Now, over the years, the SEC, and in particular Gary Gensler, has been very opposed to Bitcoin. Um, he's held up uh, the approval of this um, Bitcoin ETF, which is how the industry sees it. Um, but certainly, um, it, it doesn't change the stance of the SEC. They are now not pro-crypto. And I want to unpack this statement because it links to what I was just talking about 
with the ether excitement. So the reason, and if you read Che Gensler's statement, the reason the SEC was okay to greenlight the Bitcoin ETF is because they classify, and Bitcoin has been classified in the US as a commodity, not a security. Now, commodities and securities um, are subject to different sets of regulations in the US. You know, gold is a, a commodity. Stocks are securities. Um, Bitcoin is seen as a commodity. However, the SEC sees the vast majority of all other cryptocurrencies as um, securities. And that could complicate the matter in terms of them approving an ETF. Gary Gensler was very specific that they they approve the Bitcoin ETF because it is seen as a commodity. Um, and that's where this comment about it should in no way signal the commission's willingness to approve listing standards for crypto asset securities comes from. Now, that's where a, an Ether ETF gets complicated. There is potentially a decision on the Ether ETF in May. But this classification uh, really muddies the water. So it could make potentially an ETH ETF less likely in the near term than a Bitcoin ETF was. Anyways, I caught up um, with people on the ground about this. One of those was Bill Tai. Uh, he's the chair of Acti uh, and also a very high profile um, VC and crypto investor. Uh, and I asked him sort of about his views on whether an Ether ETF would come to market. One, uh, Mr. Gensler has been fantastic at setting low expectations. So I think he's doing that with this as well. And I think there's uh, one distinction that I think people have to look at, which is that uh, Bitcoin clearly has been bucketed as a commodity. Um, Ethereum, you know, there's still some question. Uh, is it a security? Is it a commodity? And I think uh, until that's resolved, it cannot be looked at exactly like the Bitcoin uh, product in terms of you know how do you structure an ETF around it but but it's you know it's all possible so so would you say that that in terms of of an ETH ETF the likelihood is a bit less this year it's not as clear cut as the it, bitcoin it's not as clear cut i do think that it that it's not out of the range of possibility but there are additional factors to consider around that one because of its uh, classification so you hear there his views a little bit about you know, that it's not as clear cut, he says, um, as Bitcoin. Uh, and so I think the market has obviously placing bets here that Ether could be the next one. And they don't want to miss out on if there's a huge price rise as a result. Um, so that's really what's happening. And I thought that was that was the fascinating price movement there. For a moment, go back to Bitcoin to finish off. Um, we know that the halving is coming up in April, um, which essentially, if people don't know, it, it, it halves the price that um, Bitcoin miners can get for mining Bitcoin, which reduces supply of Bitcoin onto the market um, and obviously increases um, demand, or that's the uh, the theory anyway. With the ETF and with the halving coming up in a few months' time, what can we expect with the price of Bitcoin, do you think? Yeah, so Bitcoin works in mysterious cycles, but so far they've been relatively consistent in its very young history. Um, 
halving happens every four years, written into Bitcoin's code. The next one is slated for April 2024. And in the past, when halving has happened, it's usually preceded, so come before a new bull run to all-time highs for Bitcoin. Now, those all-time highs take a little bit of time to get to, quite a few months, but it comes before. And and what we've got now is a, a fascinating situation on two fronts. One, you now have the ETF excitement plus the halving, which hasn't happened before, um, in terms of that could be support very supportive for Bitcoin prices. But on the flip side, you now have Bitcoin in a, a macroeconomic environment that it's never been in before. One where inflation still is running high, uh, one where interest rates are high. It's never traded in that before. So do, do these historical cycles hold? Uh, and that's the big question. So again, of course, was there on the ground speaking to the industry what is their views and you can imagine given the sort of current situation they're quite bullish uh, i want to bring you a couple comments first one here from fred teal the ceo of marathon digital holdings they're one of the biggest bitcoin miners uh, in the world here's what he had to say on his outlook for the price we estimate just internally that we'll definitely hit uh, the all-time high levels by the end of this year the prior all-time highs and then we'll see into next year what happens beyond that. So he thinks uh, some new all-time highs uh, could be hit in 2024. Um, and that seems to be a, a view from across the board. Um, Anthony Scaramucci, the CEO of Skybridge Capital and a big crypto investor, also spoke to me uh, up at San Moritz. And here was his outlook. So I've been humbled by life and markets. And so when I make these predictions, I, they don't turn out too well. You know, I'll end up in this ice bath out here. Uh, but here's what I do believe. Because of the broader nature of ownership and because of the pushing of the Wall Street sales forces, uh, Bitcoin will go through its all-time high. And remember, we see it as digital gold. And so if you look at the market capitalization of gold at $13 trillion, there's no reason why Bitcoin couldn't be 50 or 60% of that market capitalization. So that implies a 10x price over the next decade. But could Bitcoin be $100,000, uh, which is more or less a double or plus a little bit more than a double by this time next year? I do believe that. Uh, Andy, but I've been wrong so many times before. You probably shouldn't listen to me on that. But I do believe that that's why we have so much Bitcoin exposure. He was very keen to say that he has been wrong in the past on prices, but he does feel that Bitcoin could be at $100,000 next year. And look, that is not an outlier view subscribe to the squawkbox europe express podcast join steve karen and myself arabile in unscripted and dynamic debate around the day's top stories with first and exclusive interviews of the best in business and global newsmakers original points of view and instant analysis of the latest business news and key market themes get set for the day ahead Squawkbox Europe Express podcast now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. In fact, there are many calling for $100,000 on Bitcoin this year. Um, me and my colleague Ryan Brown, our colleague, uh, we published a piece at the start of this year um, speaking to actually people both inside and outside the crypto industry. And it was quite surprising because everyone was bullish. Even those who have traditionally been quite bearish on Bitcoin were bullish this year round because of the ETF in particular, 
because of the um, halving and also because of potentially a view. There are some economists who believe that the, the central banks of this world will cut interest rates. And when interest rates are cut, that's usually very supportive for risky assets like stocks, but also like Bitcoin as well. Um, and so we had price calls for 2024 ranging from about 60,000 US dollars, all the way up to about 250,000 US dollars this year. Um, and so that's where we're at with the price. You know, I couldn't tell you where it's going. It's anybody's guess, but that's the views from the industry. Okay. Um, yeah, lots to uh, keep an eye on. And I'm sure we'll be talking about crypto next week uh, and the following weeks after that. Um, but let's leave crypto there for the moment and look ahead to the first half of 2024 and what our listeners should keep an eye on in the world of tech. Beyond the value. There's a few things, Tom. Obviously, I'll just throw crypto out there because we're here now. The halving's coming in April. That's pretty obvious. Um, so that's going to be something that we no doubt talk about again. Um, but also, you know, it's a big year in the world for elections. Um, and so that's gonna that's gonna bring to the fore a lot about misinformation online, on social platforms, um, across internet platforms. Those they will be under heavy, heavy scrutiny this year. And um, I think added to the mix, generative AI, because all of a sudden there's this potential ability to create things like deep fakes. Uh, remember that episode we did? We talked about if deep fakes could cause a national security crisis, you know, taking it to the extreme. But certainly deep fakes could play a role in misinformation online created by AI. So those two things, I think, are going to be a huge deal um, this year uh, as well. Uh, and I know um, our colleague uh, Karen Gilchrist um, wrote a very good uh, article on the website uh, yesterday or the day before um on this very subject so if you want to read more about it then then you can find that there as well um but yeah i mean it's something that um i think and i know we i'm sure it's going to be talked about next week at, at davos the threat to democracy the threat to you know free and fair elections um it's 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 going to be a huge problem and and uh, how who how they deal with that is is anyone's guess yeah absolutely and do you sort of try to fight AI with AI? That's going to be certainly, you know, there are tools being developed, you know, AI tools being developed to help identify what may or may not have been created by AI. So there's that. And just generally, you know, the development of artificial intelligence is going to be in focus this year. How quickly is it moving? We saw rapid development last year. Who are the leaders? Who are the winners? Where's the Where, where are investors investing in? All of that is going to be uh, pretty top of mind um, this year. There's there's so much. I mean, I keep going on. <laughs> but China is going to be a big, big topic again. Um, you know, the tech companies there have had a really rough time in the past few years. Investors have lost complete confidence in the, the ability for these tech companies to grow at the rapid paces they have grown in the past because of tighter regulation and also broadly a uh, not as rosy outlook for the Chinese economy. Um, and so, again, I think people are going to be looking at the Chinese market, uh, given it's so huge, and, and seeing where companies like Alibaba and Tencent and JD and others find their growth from. Um, that's going to be another huge topic as well. Where do you see the gaming industry going in the first uh, first six months of 2024? Yeah, there's a potential, actually, you know, in certain markets like China, 
um, I've seen sort of a, a gaming recovery take hold um, or starting to take hold. So that would be positive for the broader gaming market. Um, I think one of the interesting uh, uh, topics, so one of the interesting topics this year outside of China is going to be the console market uh, and what happens there. Obviously, you know, you've got Microsoft with the Xbox, Sony with the PlayStation, and Nintendo with the Nintendo Switch. And um, one of the things that analysts are expecting this year, I spoke to a few um, uh, just uh, very recently, and they were saying that they're thinking Nintendo will release a brand new Switch this year, Nintendo Switch 2. Um, and that could reinvigorate some of the sales uh, of the company and bring in new players as well. So gaming is going to be one to watch. Um, a lot going on in that space. How does uh, Microsoft move forward after the Activision Blizzard deal closed? Um, what are they going to be doing with that? Um, you know, How are they positioning for the future of things like cloud gaming? Uh, and other things um so that's going to be a fascinating uh one to watch as well and one other thing that i wanted to ask you about was um the metaverse <laughs> i know it's a bit off piece but um yeah. what's what's happening with the metaverse what, or what's is you could phrase, rephrase it is what's going wrong with the metaverse because it's been a bit of a clunky clunky process and and i imagine 2024 is going to be a big year for whether it it gets sort of mainstream adoption yeah i think i don't think there's anything going massively wrong with it i just think that it's not as moved moved as fast as people had thought it would um and the problem is you know you can go out and buy a headset for maybe you know they're not mega cheap but they're not mega expensive uh, you know, if you're in that market for consumer electronics, you know. And so I think the issue is what's what's the big use right now? Why would you need, why do you want one? Why? What's going to make you get up, go get your headset, put it on your head, fire it up, open an app, and then start doing something in, in virtual reality? What What is that that's going to make you do that? And I think the experiences aren't there yet. I think what's interesting, so I've been trying out a PlayStation VR 2 very recently. Just wanted to try the product for a week or so and just see how it's going. Now, that is has been built for a very specific use. You know that if you're a consumer, you're going to purchase that for the sole purpose of gaming. And the headset has been designed as such and, and everything around it for the purpose of gaming. Now, if you're into gaming, um, I can see the appeal of that. It is a really interesting product. And some of the experiences on that are, you know, something that, you know, most of us would have never experienced before. And so it makes sense. Now, when you look at some of the other general headsets out there, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a myriad use cases of those. You know, there could be gaming, there could be education, there could be work, there could be all sorts of stuff. But I think that those experiences that are offered by VR yet aren't as um, polished as they need to be. I remember trying, uh, very again, very recently, it was one of um, Meta's headsets, one of the Quest headsets, um, and it was some sort of rock climbing thing. It was really cool, and I was having sort of a good time, but it was very glitchy. I found it very glitchy, uh, and and that's not and you know that's something across all the headsets. There are glitches still, and so I think that experience isn't isn't quite there yet. 
And so that's something that will need to be improved. Let's see, you know, and that comes with that comes with adoption, consumer adoption. If consumers are, are keen on it, then developers will develop stuff for it. And so that's going to be, I think, uh, a big deal. Um, or we'll see how that sort of develops. You know, there's a that big conference we go to, Tom, the Mobile World Congress. You know, we might hear a bit more about Metaverse there um, as well. And, uh, and then on top of that, you know, it's linked to the development of other consumer electronics as well. A big deal this year is going to be phones. What what happens with mm. phones? How that was going to be my next question. Yeah, what, what do, do you, you want think? in your I mean, phone? Have you heard what any you rumors? In your phone? Well, this is the problem with the with the smartphone. Do, do any do people want anything else? I mean, they feel like they they've got everything they need. I mean, it's uh, all doing, all singing, all dancing. Uh, I mean, the cameras are just absolutely ridiculous now. Your camera is absolutely ridiculous. That you know those those photos you shot from San Maritz, Wow, you know yeah. who I needs a professional a, photographer these days? Yeah, I took a night shot on the current device I'm using, and my goodness, it it was like it, it was way. unbelievable. Yeah, you you laugh. I, our camera operator at the time, uh, we were doing a shot um, sort of outside, and. This uh, with the mountains in the background for for a live TV shot, and the sun had sort of appeared, and so you know I was backlit, and our poor camera operator was you know blasting his light as much as he can in in in, the, in my face to sort of you know counteract the backlight, and he's like, oh, it's just this, you know, you're coming out, you know, a little bit, you know, dark with the backlight and stuff. I said, um, Gert, his name, I said, like, Gert, you should probably just use a smartphone. Uh, it would just, the AI in it would just sort it out. You know the lighting, and he was like, "Yeah, I, pr- I probably should. I don't need to carry carry a twenty kilo kit around." Then, <laughs> I mean, we are getting. You know, we, we, I, I don't think it's that long uh, or that far away until that that might be a reality. So, um, but uh, good old Gert, we love Gert. Um, okay, let's uh, let's leave it there for the uh, for the pod. And but before we go, of course, we have got to f- do stat of the week. And you've got to get this right. November 2021. It's a date, obviously playing a bit fast and loose with the rules here, but but it's is a it, date. Is it November the 9th, 2021? Do you know what? You're asking me a question I don't know the answer to. <laughs> Listen, I got back late because last that, night, all right? Yeah, all right, all right. You, you didn't sleep in at all this morning for this podcast, um, but we, yeah, we'll gloss over that. Um, November the 9th, 2021, was when Bitcoin reached its record high, uh, just south of $70,000 per Bitcoin. Um, I think it's 68 or something like that. Uh, brilliant. It, is that is brilliant? It, am I right? Absolutely brilliant, Tom. Well done. Oh, thank well you very done. much. Thank you. Um, and uh, start as we mean to go on, you know, yeah. New Year's resolution is to not get any start of the week wrong. What a, what a great start to the year for you. Our listeners could start taking bets maybe on uh, yeah. on yeah, whether well, I'm going to get it this week. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what? Um, I'm so glad you got it because it would have been really awkward after your really bold claim at the start of the show that you knew the answer. Thankfully, thankfully, I did my research this week, so um, I came prepared, and I didn't know that that was what your stat of the week was going to be. But um, I didn't either until until I woke up this morning, <laughs> <laughs> which is only about five minutes before we started recording. Yeah, so, which was uh, yeah, yeah. Look, I told you I was, yeah. was knackered. I was knackered. It was a. Yeah, you, right. Do you know it's how long right. it takes? You have to you have to fly from London to Zurich, right? First, this is my journey. Um, you fly to, from London to Zurich, and then. 
you get off at Zurich Airport, and then it's about you take three trains up to San Moritz, totaling around three hours and forty-five minutes. That's almost three times the length of your flight. Yeah, but as I said, beautiful train ride. So you sort of <laughs> balances it out somewhat. You sort of sure. you're really dreading the long journey, but then you know you see the serenity. Uh, around you with with you know lakes and snow and and mountains and stuff the options for content social content the fondue yeah. i mean what's you know let's get the violin back out shall do, we do you know do, let's get the do you know what should have been my stat of the week see if you can guess what this is 150 swiss right. francs the the price of the set menu at the michelin star restaurant you went to <laughs> no i wish it was a set menu um, hundred. Obviously, I didn't order this. You know, the T and E department uh, would would you know lose their mind. But um, it was the price of a of a wagyu burger on the menu, just the burger, not a set menu, um, at one of the hotels. Um, so that's quite that. That's just give you a sense of of the luxury nature of San Moritz, which I'm. You're there every weekend, though, aren't you, Tom? So that, yeah, it's a home, a home away from home for me. Um, I'm glad you've managed to pronounce Samaritz correctly, though. Now, so we had a bit of a debate in the office about the pronunciation. So you'll be glad to hear. Though the announcer on the train did say Sant Moritz, so <laughs> I don't know. I think it's still the debate's still open. <laughs> debate's still open. Um, if you if you want to uh, uh, tell us how to correctly pronounce Samaritz, then please do by emailing at beyondthevalley at cnbc.com uh, and if you have any other questions on tech then also do email us and we will attempt to answer them on the pod uh, but that's it for now thank you Arjun thank you Tom we'll be back next week for another episode of Beyond the Valley goodbye Beyond the Family.